What is up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Keystone Chronicles podcast. I hope you guys are doing great, and I got one heck of a series lined up for you. And when I say series, that is not one, but two episodes with our guest, Mr. Wade James. If you guys are familiar with his work, his wife and him, himself, own the AdLive Collective Photography and Videography Service. Uh, please go check them out, guys. They have some wonderful stuff. And that brings us to the point with the experience that Wade has in the outdoor industry for photography. And we go down this road in a podcast. I think you guys are going to really enjoy some of his stories. Uh, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Really, really awesome guy. And, and we're definitely going to have him on again. Him and I, could we just we could have talked for hours and hours and hours. And we just had to kind of cut it short to make some podcasts here. But you'll get a two-part series for this, and this part you'll hear us basically just going over whatever with a little BS in living life and uh, raising kids in the outdoors. As uh, for me, I'm sorry that the podcast wasn't released this morning. I had a derailment at work and worked uh, <laughs> extra long, 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 long day. So unfortunately, I wasn't able to get that out this morning, but here it is. It's ready for you now. And I hope you enjoy. All right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Keystone Chronicles podcast. Today, I'm joined with a man with two first names. Three first names, Three actually. first names. Yeah. Wade, Roland, James. Perfect. So, yeah. Perfect. It's, it must be a tough life. It is. I'm just used to answering to Jim Wade everywhere I go. <laughs> it's, I'm, it's better than Jim Beam. This is very true. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to give the wrong impression. <laughs> right, right. So you got your toes in a lot of different waters here. You videography. Um a lot of photography, you're a dad, you know, yeah. you're, you're super busy raising Always. the kids outdoors. And when do you get time to sleep? Every once in a while I do. Right. I, my, my sleep schedule has switched from doing excavating before this to full time. Now as a videographer, I just wait till they go to bed to try to get any work done. Right. So. Well, let's get into it here. Let's let everybody know what you do for a living. And then uh, we'll get into the hunting, fishing, outdoorsy side of everything. Okay. Uh, yeah. So my wife and I own a company called AdLib Collective. Uh, I do all of the videography, and uh, she does most of the vi uh, photography um, outside of the outdoor stuff. When the outdoor stuff kicks in, then I take over for photography unless I am included in it, and then she'll usually be my photographer for that. But um, I've been doing this full-time for about six or seven years now, and she's been full-time for probably close to 10. So um, before this, I was in excavating. I was a third generation in an excavating family, and I uh, just got to the point where it wasn't my passion and I could make enough money doing something else and decided to just pursue that. And it's been great. Yeah. So it's nice to have your own schedule and I have four kids all under the age of 11 right now. So it's nice to be able to have the freedom to do what I want to make enough money to survive and provide and still love my job every day. So with that job too, I mean, when it comes to your time off, do you get, does it slow down a little bit towards uh, the hunting season? It depends really the majority of our, our work is weddings. So, um, starting usually in April or May, we're balls to the wall with weddings from there till the end of October. And usually October is totally jam packed because everybody wants a fall wedding. So what right. I've done now in the last couple of years is I've, I really enjoy hunting. <laughs> and if you're working every weekend in October, it's hard to do anything. Right. Just keeping up with editing, let alone if, you know, I have all week to do things, but I need to keep up with my editing to get my workflow and my you know, my return times for my clients, you know, pretty, pretty consistent. So I started just taking the first two or three weeks of November off right. and I'll focus on going out with my kids and stuff like that and hunting 
here and there through October, but um, starting November, I just started blocking off areas so I can go to Ohio for a week and not have to feel guilty about it. Right. So, right. so how how long do you think you've been hunting? Do you think you've been probably since you were a kid? Yeah. So how I, how were you introduced to it? I grew up in a hunting family. We were always rifle hunters. I never archery hunted until I was probably. I'd say 16. I got scoped uh, when I was 15 with a 300 mag. It broke my <laughs> nose and got real trigger shy. So it took me probably a good year or two of just plinking with a 22 to actually get used to not flinching. So I started shooting with a bow because I, I wanted to hunt. The weather was kind of better. Right. I was experiencing the rut and things like that. So based on circumstances, I moved to archery just because I, uh, you know, being a rifle only hunter that got scoped and broke his nose, it kind of gets you needing to find another outlet to get it hunting without being flinchy so getting into that since you you know you you got into the archery yeah explain to me what happened the first time that you 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 know you got that close you made a kill with the bow and the difference between maybe the way you felt with a rifle than compared to using archery equipment yeah so we were the we were the typical pennsylvania hunters that the weekend before rifle season mm -hmm. you shot your guns in everybody right. came to your house you shot your guns in you yeah. went you you had your spot you went to. Right, right. You usually tagged out in the first day with, you know, both animals that you had tags for. Right. And uh, when I switched to archery, I had a couple years of just hand-me-down bows from people that I just missed a lot. And I was like, man, this sucks. Like, <laughs> I have to get something this close. And that's, right. it's, I never even hung with a tree stand until I was probably 17. So um, my first actual confirmed archery kill was when I was 17. First time I ever hunted out of a tree stand. I bought a climber that year. I climbed up. I ended up shooting a, a nice little mountain eight point on the public land behind our house. Um, it was like a 52 yard shot. I liver shot it and I had to back out and I was really into the Drury's and the dream season thing. So I was, you know, I was watching all these videos right. and stuff like that and getting used to like how you're supposed to do this with a bow as opposed to a rifle and uh, gave it a couple hours, came back and then got my first animal with a bow. And it was that from that point on, it was all downhill from there, man. It's over. <laughs> yeah, that's dude. That's what happens to a lot of people, man. I, I don't know, you know, uh, why it's like that or anything, but um, it's it's hard to explain to people when they ask. You know, I I've talked to people and I try to talk them into going archery hunting, and especially new hunters. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the guys that are like, oh, you know, guys, new hunters, da 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 da, archery equipment, they need to take their time or whatever. That's where I think one of the only things that I agree with a person who's not in any handicap using a crossbow. Mm -hmm. I agree. Because, you know, I know I've wounded deer and I know, I mean, I don't oh, yeah. know if you're on that boat, but God yep. bless your soul if you are, because we all know how that feels. Yep. But I think that for them, that's a good starting point. You know, they have to get close. Now, don't get me wrong. They have these new things that are, they're, yeah. they're not rifles. I know, I don't, you know, anybody listening, anybody's like, oh, it's a gun. It's not a gun. Yeah. You know? And, I, and that's coming from experience. I've never shot a deer with a crossbow, but I've been around them, and I, you know, I've shot them. Mm -hmm. They're not guns. If right. you hit a twig, you're you're done. You're done. Yep. Yeah. I mean, um, and and I don't even want to go on a tangent into into what that is, but I just, you know, we were talking about hunting starting with archery equipment and everything like that. And I'm just curious, what, did you did you start with a compound bow then? Yeah. Somebody gave me an old Jennings. Um, to try and mess around with, and it was just more practicing. Get it, got a 3D target and practice right. with that was fun, but still was never really confident with it. Um, then I had a neighbor give me a, it was a PSE Carol Intruder, and it's still in my mind, it's the only bow that I've ever had that I could shoot 20 or 30 yards with the same pin. I had one pin on this thing, just an old <laughs> right. clunky thing, 
and I killed more deer with that bow um, with one pin. And now I was like, I'm like micro tuning everything for like per yard at this <laughs> right. point with the setups I have now. And I'm like, it was just fun back then. It was something yeah. new that I was into. I was shooting these big old, you know, autumn orange aluminum arrows with right. whatever broadheads I could find at Walmart at that yeah. point in time or yeah. Hornix. The old thunderheads. Still, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I, my, my two daughters were able to start hunting this past year and they both took their first does on either side of my buck. So October the 5th, my eight-year-old daughter shot her first doe with a crossbow on the ground mm -hmm. no blind just her right. and i we had a decoy set up and i mean 20 yard shot on the ground and i feel like for me my dad grew up uh with a lot of back issues so he had a handicap permit for a crossbow right. and that was still right meeting. and he, yeah that was great to get him into archery yep. but then he got to the point where he could start he could shoot left-handed because his shoulders were bad too and he got really into archery then and started hunting with a compound right but for my kids i am totally fine with taking my kids out and like i said both of my daughters killed their first deer last year with a crossbow yeah. my son he's my oldest son he's going to be seven this year so he can get his junior permit right and uh he's going to go out with me this year too but uh, i think getting kids into it and to that early stage like mm -hmm. if your kid wants to do it take them out but don't force them to do it right. i want my kids to always experience it if they never want to hunt again they don't have to but a crossbow is a great way to get your feet wet and know that you're not going to be sticking all kind of animals if you're not practicing and stuff yeah, like that or absolutely. it's too small to pull enough poundage i i couldn't agree anymore um and i mean i know you're going through you know a lot of raising the kids in the outdoors yeah. and that's something that i wanted to base the podcast on pretty heavily was you know the way that you're finding time to take them in the outdoors make sure they're raising outdoors and then also giving them the choice that hey you don't have to do this right you know dad loves to do this yep. but if you don't love it you know you exactly. don't need to do it so um how do you go about you know trying to introduce them to archery hunting or even taking an animal so for my kids, what I, my, my hands-on approach with my kids was to get them involved in scouting early mm -hmm. going out. We, we take them spotting so they can, you know, if right. it's not too late and it's dark enough, we can take them out and get them to see animals. Right. And then we, if we go fishing or whatever, we're out there, we have binoculars, so we'll watch deer. And then sometimes we'll just go set up and say, okay, this is, let's try to get set up and like in a hunting situation and see how close we can get a deer and just let them experience the rush of like not being able to move. And, and try to get something in close to check it out. My biggest thing, I think, as a father with young kids, as an avid hunter, my biggest thing is wanting to make sure initially that they got to see things. But then I was always yelling, like, don't move. Quit. Like, you're just constantly <laughs> right. barking orders at your kids. Yeah. What's the biggest turnoff is just disciplining your kids the whole time. They're not having fun because the dad's yelling at them. Right. So the last couple of years, I've, I've pushed my selfish desire, desires aside to being like, I want them to be successful and kill something. And then realizing if they're not having a good time or they're bored and I'm not going to force them to stay there any longer. If we're at that prime time and they were okay to this point, a couple more minutes. But if, if my four-year-old, if I take him out and goofing around with him right. and I'm going to shoot the animal and he's being loud and obnoxious and doesn't want to stay there any longer, I'm not going to force him to stay there because he's going to just be irritated, not want to go with me ever again. Right. So it's pushing away that like OCD of me, like wanting to make this successful for them and just realizing they just want to spend time with me in the outdoors. Mm -hmm. If they see something cool, but if not, we go out, we get hot dogs and snacks and sit in the ground blind or just set up somewhere. But the pressure for me to make their time successful with my prerequisite of successful is different. Yeah. They just want to have a good time with me. And if we see something cool, right. if they can shoot something cool. But outside of that, I had to really hop on the back seat or the, the passenger seat of this and let them experience it for themselves and see if they want to pursue it or not, but not force them to do such. So with all your videography background, mm -hmm. have you been doing recording for them for the hunt? Not at all. Okay. I, 
I'll take pictures if they kill something, but I know like that OCD thing of me, I want <laughs> to make this big elaborate production. Guess what? When the, t- the moment comes down to it where they are at the point where they can shoot their first animal right. and they're in that situation, the last thing I want to worry about is if it's in frame and focus and I'm not going to stop them from shooting something. I want them to experience that hunt as a hunt the first time. Right. And if they want me to film it later on, that's fine. But even my own personal stuff, I hardly even take a camera anymore just because that took such a joy that took, took the, the joy out of it for me because it was work. Right. And I was messing up opportunities and self filming stuff where does it really matter if I throw a 30 second clip of what I just did and killed a deer, who's going to watch it. It's going to be relevant for the first three, four days. And after that, everyone forgets about it. So I'm not going to put that pressure on my kids. I want them to experience the hunt, have their dad there in the moment with them, coaching them to do everything ethically and the right way the first time before I even think about taking a camera. So I understand fully. And I don't think that there's anything more fun than even killing them yourself. I don't, I mean, watching your kids kill them, you know, oh. or even, not even your own kid. Anyone. You know, any, any, yeah. I mean, you know, just taking them out and introducing them. And, you know, we all know that that's the future because when we're not old enough to fight for this stuff anymore because the certain left wants to come, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> come take them or, you know, like the stuff that's going on, like with New Jersey and, or even Maine, you know, when they're trying to take away bear hunting and you're thinking, what? Yeah. It'd be all fun and games until they come down and take your child or your dog or your cat out of your yard you know right so i mean that's the stuff we're fighting and without people that are passionate with it come the next yeah 30 40 years who knows what will happen exactly but um what are uh what are what are your plans for this year i i know i mean i know we're far out right now we're only in june but as far as your outdoor activities i know i mean with your weddings i know it's got to be tough to fish but um, have you guys been out fishing? Are you trout fishing, bass, anything so like that? So my a lot of my fishing with my kids is uh, like I have a lease. This is the last year I have the lease out in Brush Valley, and uh, we have a bunch of farm ponds. And my my oldest son loves fishing. Okay. So for us, we just take them out there and just take a bunch mm-hmm. of Capri Suns and bobbers and worms and go pick worms and have right. fun with that. A lot of my fishing that I like to do, I mean, I'm, I'm a fly, I'm a mediocre fly fisherman at best. I just got into that the last couple of years, but there's a lot of native brookie streams that oh. I just love. I mean, middle of my day, if everyone's busy and there's nothing going on, like I can sneak away, right. I can hike back behind my house, throw on a pair of Crocs and swimming trunks, right. take a couple of dry flies back and just have some fun with brookies. But that's the kind of fishing I really like to do. I don't really do too many trips or like big fishing endeavors right. that's my release like if i want to go wet a line back behind the house with some native brookies and little streams yeah. that's fun take the kids out to the farm ponds and just have fun with them that's kind of the majority of my fishing as of right now i just right. i kind of save up my time for archery season for myself but for them i just i make that stuff work because it's, it's constant action and they can they can have a yeah. good time with and it. it's a lot easier to take them on a lake yeah you know daddy i'm tangled yeah exactly <laughs> my, my dad and i took our two boys down to hinkston run dam which is right below our house here a couple two nights ago, I think. Mm -hmm. And we, my dad and I both had rods, but it just turned into like my four-year-old and my seven-year-old wanted to be casting. And they're just, there's enough bobber and string that's taller than they are. And they're just getting caught and hooking the seat and the trolling motors. Like, okay, just put your rod down, let them have fun until they get bored. Then we can start fishing to finish off the night. No, I understand fully, man. It it is tough. And I always, you know, it it took me to get older to understand why my dad always took us to lakes instead of streams. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) but I, I know, I know now for sure. Um, but you know, a lot of that comes, a lot of that good stuff that you're talking about comes with living in Pennsylvania and in the region we live in. Yeah. And I just kind of want to highlight that because 
I talk to a lot of people that live in other states too. Mm-hmm. And I, I mentioned to them, hey, you know, if you want to catch native trout, you know, or wild trout, because so many people are wild about that. They're like, oh my God, that's native. That's yeah. wild. And yeah, I mean, it is impressive. It's cool because they're a whole nother creature. Right. And I feel like the Pennsylvania portion of it is, it's wild. It's so good. And I have guys that will vouch for me that travel the country and even one that has traveled and fished every single state. And he will tell you that Pennsylvania is still in the top five for trout fishing. Mm-hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, we might not have the best bass fishing, you know, crappy fishing, all that, because we, you know, we don't have the weather like Georgia might have yeah. or like uh, Alabama or yep. whatever. But that's something I like to highlight, highlight a little bit in every episode. And like with you saying that you're out fishing for natives and native streams and stuff, you know, yeah, we're not the only state with them. Right. But we're plentiful. Oh, for sure. And if we didn't have nothing against mining or anything, but if we didn't have all the mine runoff and stuff that we have, could you imagine some of the cricks? Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's kind of funny. Like I did a fly fishing film 2016. It was, um, there was the periodical cicada hatch and there was a film we did called brood V, which is brood five is the brood that was emerging that year. Right. And I've never, that was the first year I kind of got into trout fishing. I have a good buddy, Dave Zielinski that lives out by Claysburg area that has, he builds wooden drift boats and avid fly fisherman. So for that hatch, we wanted to do a film highlighting this periodical cicada hatch. So we built two wooden drift boats, mm-hmm. documented that kind of stuff. And myself, Dave, and two other guys, Bob Bell, and uh, Steve Ludwig, we went out and floated, I think it was 26 miles of the yawk during this, the cicada hatch on yeah. these wooden drift boats that they built. And it was nothing but trout and carp right. on topwater cicada flies. And still to this day, that experience for my first fly fishing adventure right. probably would rival any other fishing that I'll ever do in my entire life. Yeah. I mean, we caught, I mean, 30-some carp on top water cicada flies <laughs> with freaking fly rods and right. wooden drift boats on the Yaka game. It was just like, yeah, like I didn't realize how good it was until after the fact I'm like, Oh, this is like a big deal. Like people from out West that, you know, do a lot of big float trips and stuff like that. This would rival right. a lot of the stuff that they do. And it's right mm-hmm. in our backyard. Like the snake river type stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yep. yep. Yeah, the stone fly hatch or whatever, like mm-hmm. that cicada hatch, when those bugs are by the millions hitting the water and yep. you're sight fishing carp, <laughs> like you're watching a bug hit the water and you see lips come up and they go downstream and they're like literally lining up <laughs> and then you, it's just like spot and stalk fishing. Right. You'd cast in, drag free, like the lips come up, they take it and you just freaking right. set the hook and paddle to the shore and you're, you're fighting a four foot carp right. for the next 20 pound carp. Yeah, dude, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it was so cool. But I mean, we have that stuff here. You right. don't have to always go on a destination, especially with people with budgets or families. Like you can't do that kind of stuff. Yeah. You just pay attention to what's going on. Yeah. There's opportunity to do anything you want to fishing or hunting in Pennsylvania, yeah. whether you think it's mediocre or not. I right. mean, it's still a great time. So. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's, you know, that's what this show's all about. It's about PA residents, PA proud, Yep. big push on the Pennsylvania stuff. And I hunt other states. Yeah. There's, there's no secret there. I hunt Ohio. I hunt Indiana. You know, this year we're going to West Virginia, you know, and, and my dad wants to go to Maryland too. Mm-hmm. And he wants to go kill some Sika deer. Oh, that's, that's great time down there. Right. I've done that a couple <laughs> right. times. So, and which is great because one of my real good buddies, you know, he's got the spot. He mm-hmm. says, you know, let's go. I'll take you in and hold your hand and yep. you, you get your shot, but Diane's going to say you're going to hit. Oh yeah. I think the, the swamp ghost, man, I've been that's, down there twice filming, once filming and once hunting. And, uh, dude, they're, 
It is. That is a rush. It is the weirdest hunting you will do, but it is the coolest if it, if you can connect. Right. But it, they're just such a cool little animal. Yes, I've heard that. And yeah. they, they're like they're like little elk. It's a little elk. Yeah. Yep. Bugling and everything. Yep. Yeah. And the, the meat is great too. Yeah. I Two back straps. Yep. I felt like I owed him his life. After that. <laughs> He's like, oh, I give you some back straps. I'm like, oh man, I, I can't give you my right arm. Know. You know? <laughs> For sure. But I travel out of state and it, the hunting out of state's great. Mm-hmm. You know, don't get me wrong. I mean, we hunt. I have family in Ohio. My biggest deer, I, the multiple biggest deer that I've ever shot, they've all come from Ohio. Mm-hmm. Indiana was wonderful to us. Um, but it, it, it comes down to we have great deer here. Yeah. And part of the reason is if you're just a deer hunter and you just enjoy hunting deer, we have the population. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. There's certain counties that are better than others. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, there, there ain't no deer. There ain't no deer. And you're like. Yins guys are crazy. There ain't no deer yeah, up there. Yeah. Yins is just crazy <laughs> that there ain't no deer here. Well, there's lots of deer. And we all know that if you're not killing deer, and I don't care if you're listening here or now, you're just being lazy. Yeah. Okay. Because you got to want it. Yep. Uh, you know, like you were saying, the traditional Pennsylvania way is let's take my rifle out. Let's shoot it Saturday morning or Let's shoot it, you know, now that it's opening day, Saturday, let's shoot it Thanksgiving day. Sure. That's fine. I'm glad that you are taking your gun out to at least shoot it. Make sure that you're going to make an ethical shot, but don't go hunting one day and then tell me that there ain't no deer. There ain't no deer. Right. Exactly. So get out there, do your homework, Mm -hmm. find the spots. I mean, the Pennsylvania game commission literally on their website will tell you where to go hunting. Yeah. You know, look for the places that had the prescribed burns. Yep. Look for the places that have edge. Look for, you know, there, there's so much on that website, and it's an interactive map. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I had a buddy that came out, a good buddy of mine that grew up in Ohio, lived in Westmont for a while, and has recently moved back the last couple of years. But he came out to hunt with me the, the first time we ever hunted together. We went back on the Glitzen State Forest, which is behind my house. Mm-hmm. We stinking walked forever. <laughs> to get back there freezing our nuts off climbed right. up in the stand it gets daylight out and this dude shoots big deer he shoots good deer in ohio every right. year and the sun came up and he goes um hey uh, where do they usually come from <laughs> i said wherever they're at and he's like well how do you pattern them i'm like he's like where's the ag i'm like there is no ag we're on 3500 acres of state forest right now right well what do they eat i'm like acorns <laughs> Well, how do you hunt them? You find an oak tree and pray to God they walk by. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, how do you hunt them? He's like, well, they're like little, there's like ag everywhere and there's little clusters of trees and we just know where they're going to come through. And, right. and I'm like, well, that, that's great. I mean, it's not always that easy, but at the same time, it was so funny because I'm like, I've had trail cameras back on the state forest behind my house and you'll see a nice buck, you know, one day, three weeks later, it's coming back up the opposite way. They right. just run these ridges and walk them and they just, they, they have no set area unless it's a big thicket but right. if they're just look, grazing for food they're looking for oaks they're looking for all that kind of stuff and you're just hoping the acorn crop is good that year and you just find a good white white oak flatter yep. something that they're going to eat and that's what that's what you have kind of focus on yeah it's 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 hard to just explain that like i hope that everybody that listens really listens to a lot of other podcasts mm-hmm. or uh, watches good videos on youtube there's a lot of good content out there but yep. guess what there's a lot of bad content oh, out sure. there too. For sure. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not saying that this is good, this is bad, but it's all in the area that you're hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why, you know, getting back to saying why this is a Pennsylvania podcast, because I can go out and podcast my buddy that lives in Ohio, well, where he lives, it's totally flat. Mm-hmm. And the ag is just 
way better. Than oh, yeah. That. I mean, for a plant in Pennsylvania that would have three leaves on it, theirs has six. Right. Okay? It's, the, it's, it's in the soil. People say it's in the soil. Yeah, it's in the soil, but that's why it's in the soil. The, the nutrition is better for the plants that are coming out, that mm-hmm. they're eating. Yeah. You know, an acorn branch here in, in, you know, Prince Glitzen State Forest has three acorns on the end of it. There, it has 10. You're right. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So the food's more plentiful. Mm-hmm. So when we have a hard winter, well, what's really hard on our deer? And speaking of hard winters, this year wasn't no slouch. Right. You know, this past year, I, you know, I, that hurts a herd. But people are like, oh, well, we don't, you know, we don't need these antler restrictions. I disagree totally. I disagree 100% too. And I, and I figured you would because, yes, okay, Ohio can get away with that. Mm-hmm. But one of the number one reasons they can get away with it is because of the rifle cartridges that you can use there. Yeah. And that was a new, that's a new thing, mm-hmm. you know, whereas last time, you know, it was slugs only or single shot muzzleloader, you know, inline muzzleloader. Yep. Well, if I didn't get, you know, if I wasn't able to use my rifle with five shells in it, you know, I yep. can shoot how far with my gun. Oh, yeah. You know? Compared to me using a slug gun, which I have shot deer and everything. And I shot probably the the biggest buck I've ever shot at. And I shot right underneath it. And it was probably 140 yards. Hmm. Yeah. And it wasn't me. I mean, the gun shot right underneath it. Yep. You know. So that's the number one thing. We use rifles here. We have mountains. We're able to use them. You're not going to have as many deer. Right. You know, it's, it's an easy shot for... You know, a, a pot go luck, lucky guy. He yep. he can just go out and shoot a deer. Yeah. And with the antler restrictions, that really helps. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that really scares me that I'll say is, I hope that they don't do the open season for two weeks again. Yeah. And uh, some may agree with me, some may not agree. You know, I feel like instead of doing that, maybe give these guys that work a lot. Or only have time to take their kid out one, you know, one day a weekend. You know, that guy, God bless his soul, he works all week. Or woman. Mm-hmm. They work all week. Saturday morning, they get to take their, their child hunting. Mm-hmm. Kid has a great day. Maybe they don't kill nothing. Well, maybe they want to go hunting. You know, yeah. why can't they go hunting on Sunday? Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. If you own your own property and you don't want people on there, don't go on there. Exactly right. But for a taxpayer to not be able to go on the game lands and hunt a deer... On Sunday. Now, there's other things you can hunt. You yeah. know, we all know that. But yep. I just think that's wild. And especially with small game. You're right. You know, it's a dying thing. Oh, for sure. Dude, before archery hunting, my life was rifle hunting <laughs> and freaking squirrels, rabbits, yeah. grouse, everything. Yeah. And now since, like, I I, mean, I was got to the point for a while where I was like, why am I, I'm gonna, I don't want to go out and shoot squirrels. Like, I'm going to screw up my archery spots. But, yeah. like, there's also now where, where I have kids. I'm like, I'm going to get back into small game hunting yeah. more if I can find them with the coyote and fox population where it is right now right. for the most part. And I'm like, that used to be, like, my life, I loved, like, until uh, I was 16 years old, I never owned anything but single shot shotguns or rifles right. for the most part. Right. And it was funny because, like, you have to make that one shot count. But I remember I had a little Steven's favorite octagon barrel single shot like rolling block style 22 right. and i killed so many squirrels with that gun right. and I, I want my kids to go back and experience that kind right. of stuff or have one well, shot with a 410 and i know? agree with you 100 percent, tenfold and that was one thing that i did learn this year and i learned it luckily right as it was opening was the squirrel season opens it opened earlier mm-hmm. and i'm not exactly sure if that was just a wmu specific but i don't think it was i think it was statewide And that was great. Yeah. That was, I've been waiting on that forever because we'd literally go to Ohio and I have family out there. So I have a place to stay and everything. We would literally go to Ohio the first week of September to go squirrel hunting. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, who's traveling the squirrel hunt? Right. This guy. Yep, exactly. Because the overlapping on the archery season, and we all know as soon as that, as soon as you get bit by that archery bug, you're done. Yeah, it's over. It's and you can talk to any guys. You know how it is. And then for some, whatever reason, you make it progressively worse on yourself. You'll start on your own private property where you're killing nice deer, and suddenly you're on this. Allegheny State Forest, and yeah. <laughs> you haven't seen a deer in 10 days. Right, but there's a gigantic one somewhere. Right. <laughs> you're holding out for that one, that, you right. know. Right. Yeah. yeah, and you make it progressively worse on yourself. But I I just think that it, it would be a lot better if they didn't overlap like that. And I'm not a biologist. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe for Pennsylvania, that's not right. Right. I don't know that. But if you asked me, hey, what would you like? Two things. I would like the small game to come in a month earlier, and I would like for Sunday hunting. Yeah. And I, I don't see why. And I, I kind of want to go down this path just for a minute here and talk about the Sunday hunting because I know that you're in favor of it. And even if you weren't, that would be great too. Mm -hmm. But my argument is this. They always talk and bitch about money. Yep. You know, and we all know that that's the root of all evil, so let's start there. Yep. So you want to make more money. The game commission wants to be able to pay their employees more. Sure. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to have better things, better surveillance, better everything. Yep. They want to upgrade what they have. Perfect. Here's an option. It's probably not for them. It's probably not for the fish commission. Why do we have a fish commission and a game commission? I, it's historic, mm -hmm. but there comes into, you know, the blue law state. You yep. know, we have all these old laws. I'm sure that it has something to do with that. Okay. Maybe that doesn't work. Sure. I'm fine with that. We always talk about getting more money. Well, if I'm a non-resident and I live in Ohio, mm -hmm. I want to be able to leave work Friday, Friday, come hunt Pennsylvania, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday night. Drive back home. I can drive back home. Yeah. The non-resident's license would explode. Yep. We have good deer here. Mm -hmm. A lot of people know about it now. They've gotten better in the last couple of years. Because of the yep. restrictions. There's no way nobody could tell me any different. Right. And I know people are like, oh, spikes are breeding does, da 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 Okay. Big deal. Yeah. It's going to happen. Yep. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, a blind squirrel. Blind, I was just going to say the same thing. <laughs> blind squirrel's going to find a nut somewhere every once in a while. Right. So, so I, yeah. I I mean, those are my two biggest arguments, man. I, and I don't see how they don't generate revenue. And, this, and the third part of the of the revenue generation is local places. Mm -hmm. You know, there's um, uh, Phil Miller's place in Crescent. There's a hunting store, local hunting store. He could be selling all these non-residents what they need. Yep. You know, license. I mean, right. they come in for license sales. Okay, come on in. Yep. You know? Um, now, yeah, don't get me wrong. You can get online or whatever, but there's just something about going to buy your license. Yeah. You know, and lots of people will agree with me on that. Yep. It's, it's like a tradition type thing. I like filling out the pink or the, the yellow paper rather than the then printed off. Printed off, off you paper. Know? Yeah, it's just something yeah. official. About yeah, it. and I think that that's part of the reason why that stuff is that colorful, you know, like other than them being able to identify it quickly is it just, it, it's programmed in your brain then. Yeah. Um, but what, what do you think about it? What, what's your point of view? So for Sunday hunting, I'm fine with it. My thing, my schedule has changed since going from blue collar excavator worker to, I have the opposite schedule of everybody else. Mm -hmm. I work at nights right. and I work weekends. So for me, I have all week to hunt now, which is fine. But right. like when I was still excavating, that did stink that you, or even the fact like opening day would come in and say it's Saturday. Right. Well, the next day you can't even hunt and then you have to start over the next week. So yeah. from, from the, you know, typical Monday through Friday worker, Sunday hunting. Yeah. If you don't want to let people hunt on your property on Sundays, that's fine. If you want to go ride your horses on state forest, or you can still do that. Right. Just wear orange. Yeah. You know, like it's not that big of a deal. Or, you know, if you're just going to take your horse, you're pretty much going to be on tra uh, quad trails, tram roads, whatever. 
you're not like busting up through these flats and making your own trails the whole entire time. So, I mean, I can see why people, I think the people that really don't agree with Sunday hunting either have property and they're, they're too nice to tell people not to hunt it. And they want a little one day of freedom, which is fine. But at the same time, like there's a lot of public land and there's a lot of people that can hunt public land, but if I can mm. hunt public land and you can ride horses, we can all work together on this yeah. and just abide by the rules and just know that we each have right. our own thing. We have to respect each other about it, you know? And even even if the, like we want to find common ground, then why not have either the public land be okay for Sunday hunting mm-hmm. and the private land's not, or the private land be okay for Sunday hunting? Because yeah. then also, holy heck, you're going to drive land sales up. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I, I don't. So then you're more property taxes. Right. I don't see how it, how everybody doesn't win. Right. But like you said, you know, people want to be able to walk public land, all that stuff. But we have a lot of public land and place spaces that are not for hunting. Right. There's no hunting there ever. Right. You can't go there. Exactly you know? right. Oh, you got to drive another 10 minutes because there's so many state parks and there's so much public land. Like, I can't leave my house. I'm pretty sure I can't leave my house and go in any direction without hitting public land within... A 10 mile radius. Mm-hmm. How many other states can you say can right, do that? Exactly right. Not a lot. Right. Don't get me wrong. There's parts of their state, our state that aren't as good for that, but they're there. Yeah. Look them up. Yep. You might, there might not be this big parking lot with this giant gate, but there might be a hundred acre plot that's, you know, right outside of Philadelphia. It's state game lands. Right. Or it's federal, federal ground that you're allowed to hunt. Mm-hmm. You just got to find it. You know, right. that's why, and, I, and I'm a promoter of Onyx. I think that it's great. Yep. You know, and and I have no affiliation with them, but that's what I use. Mm-hmm. And I'm addicted to that stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. You know, you're constantly, you're like, oh, where do you live? Oh, you know, you know, you live next to Joe Blow. He owns 32 yeah, exactly acres. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a family trust. And uh, yeah. this one over here. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's a little sliver right here that right. by this guy's place I can sneak into right. to get into the public <laughs> land. And so, yeah. Yeah. It's it's a gr- definitely a great tool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, f- I feel like all those programs too, they're great. They're a great asset, but as of late too, they're also mm-hmm. something that helps overpopulate certain, I mean, certain people that do <laughs> like their shows or podcasts right. or whatever too, that like are kind of giving, dropping hints. It's amazing how fast social media and these public video and podcast forums can completely blow up an area that nobody knew about before. I'm telling you, you know, it's crazy. Yep. Like it's, yeah. it's, I mean the, the draw of that and the people that you, you can see how an area that you never saw guys in before. And one person yep. goes and tries it out and posts about it. And next year there's freaking six trucks in the parking lot. Then the next day you're like, wow, geez, like this has a, this has a definite yep. impact on everything that we're doing. So you definitely hit it right on the head. And I've seen, um, like the guys from the hunting public talk mm-hmm. about it too is, and I, I know Dan Enfeld's talked about it. I've listened to him say it is he doesn't like to film his hunts no more because guys will, guys have picked out odd trees yep. and such, and they know where he's at. Oh yeah. And then they'll go in there and hunt, yep. you know, and that does suck a little bit because when you're hunting public lands, like some of the guys are hunting, you're putting a lot of time in and you, right. You put, you know, you found this spot, you've picked the 10,000 ticks off of you mm-hmm. and suffered through the weeks of poison ivy yeah. to find that spot. So whenever you do get that deer, you know, it's, it's, it makes you feel pretty good. But also at that point in time, if it's that sacred of a spot to you, don't go flouting about it on inter- on the internet and yeah. in your podcast and your YouTube channel, because what do you expect is going to happen with the, with the following that you have? Yeah. 
You know what I mean? You got to be, I mean, I had that happen before when I first started doing hunting films, I did like a little group of guys around here called the, the flood city Hitmen. It was, it was super original, <laughs> but, uh, we had one year, we had this gigantic double main bean buck and I was posting stuff on my Facebook about it all the time. And didn't that buck get poached? Because people knew the area I was in, yep. they knew where it was at. I was posting every time I got a trail cam picture, yep. and so I just opened the doors and let someone else walk right through it. And 22 in a spotlight at nighttime, that deer was no longer in my radar for the rest of my existence. Right. So, well, and, and it's funny that you bring that up because there is something I want to say about that. I love spotting deer. Mm-hmm. Okay, but guess what? I don't think you should be allowed to do it. Yeah, I, I feel. I mean, I just grew up doing it. Right. I, I, I it's one of them things right. you just get and bored I, on a, you know, closer yeah. to the season. It gets you all fired up to see deer. Yep. But at the same time, I, I do understand how. The concerns. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. The only reason I say that is because I think of my circumstances are, are a little different for some people. And they are because I have a place not far from where I hunt. And there's fields. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of people that spot these fields. And there's yep. usually very nice deer. But the ground's posted, mm-hmm. and it's not posted very well. The owner doesn't really give a shit, but at the same time, he does. Yeah. You know, it's like one of them deals. Well, I have permission to be in there. I've had tree stands stolen in there. Yep. I've had guys. I had a guy put a ground blind below my tree stand. <laughs> I could have jumped on it, and it would have caught me. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. Which I went in there to hunt, and he's in it one day. Yeah. And he's looking at me like, hey, what are you doing invading my right. spot and i'm not saying oh this is my spot but it's right. not public land exactly so it does it the spotting and fields nearby right. open up the the spark for someone to want to possibly sneak in slip yeah, in absolutely and do something yep. illegally um but the, i feel like you're going to have that no matter what no matter yeah. what you're into you're oh, going to have yeah. that one person that likes to bend the rules yeah to, to succeed definitely and yeah i can see how, how spotting in pa definitely doesn't hinder that at all. You know what I mean? Like it it helps that, but yeah. Well, I know I'm picking your brain about all these laws and the way that things go in PA and everything, but let's go down the road of some of the stuff that you've done in your past. Okay. And what I mean by that is, so you started bow hunting and everything like that, and then you got involved and we don't need, we're not going to use any company's names and anything unless you want to, but, um, you got involved in, in the outdoor space. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, where did you start at? I started off just seeing kind of social media blowing up with hunting stuff. Right. And it was a passion of mine. And I was doing content just for myself and just local following. And I got into um, just buying. I, every year, I, I'm a total gearhead. I play guitar. I buy guitars, pedals, amps all the time. Right. I am into cameras. And so I'm constantly lenses, cameras. Hunting is the same thing. I love to try stuff out. Right. So with that then, with Instagram and all that stuff, when it was kind of in its early stages, I saw how the hashtags and everything were working, and I would just do it myself. Well, then I ended up getting affiliated with Gore through uh, Sitka with a Gore Hunting Techs. So I bought all of my Sitka gear full price because I didn't realize at the time how things worked with people getting discount codes. I just thought everyone bought their stuff, and they liked it, and they would do stuff, and then Sitka would share their stuff. So I got into the space with that real early on, um, and that's kind of how I my – my outdoor work started to snowball because the companies were getting bigger and growing and I was already in early with that whole right. deal and it was growing. So it really helped my outdoor space business grow that way. Right. Um, so yeah, that's how I got into it. And from there, it just kind of fed my habit of 
I have a still working excavating. So oh, this is all just fun stuff. If I get discounts or free gear to try and test out and give feedback on, this was great because I didn't have to buy that stuff right. then at it's that free. point in time. Yeah, it was free. So um, that's how I got into it. And that kind of just kind of elevated my hobby and passion. And right. that's when my video work in the outdoor industry started, started to take off. Cause I was still, I feel early enough that there wasn't too many people doing it, but it was slowly starting to seep out through. And right. that's when like the influencer, not, I hate to use that word, but that's when mostly around here, I was buying stuff that people couldn't find anywhere locally. Right. So I would buy a bow that no one carried around here. Consumer direct. Out. Yeah. Yep. I would buy that. And then people would ask me, I said, come over and shoot my bow mm-hmm. or try this jacket. Literally come take my Sitka fanatic jacket and try that out. Right. Or take my Badlands pack and check this out. Cause you can't find them anywhere right now. So I bought this from their website. You like to go and try stuff out, try mine out for a weekend and see how you like it. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where my kind of passion film with trying gear and helping educate other people around of other things that you couldn't buy at, you know, Gander Mountain or Walmart or right. Dunham's right. or stuff like that. So, so you went down that road and then is that when you started doing your out of state hunts and stuff like that? So actually the first time I ever hunted out of the state of Pennsylvania was on my moose hunt with Craig Temple, who I met through the, um, Gore hunting tech program through Sitka. So I didn't really, honestly, still to this day, I've probably only hunted out of state six, seven times. Mm-hmm. My, my passion and my heart lies in Pennsylvania with everything I that I do. But then I started wanting to experience other things. So mm-hmm. my moose hunt, I got to kill a 42 inch bull in Canada, um, with my buddy Craig Temple. So that was great. Then I started doing some filming work subbed out from other people in like Maryland for sick of deer or went to Kansas to film and stuff like that. So that kind of just was like, okay, well these seasons all either start earlier or later, I can still enjoy my Pennsylvania stuff, but I'm starting to get my feet wet in these other places that right. I'd like to try to experience for myself, you know, before I get too old and I can't do anything. So yeah. that's, that's kind of where I started. Um, but now I, I have a good buddy in Ohio, Tim Nebel through the push with traditional archery stuff and, uh, him and Ben Massey, Ben Massey lives in Indiana. So, uh, we do a lot of stuff now. Like last year I went to, uh, Ohio with Tim and hunted out there and killed a really good buck. My first Ohio buck I got to kill. And it's just kind of, I'm now you, playing you use that. traditional equipment? That, that I did not okay. there. I'm still, I'm like one of those hybrid guys that I gotcha. like to hunt with a stick bow, but at the same time, like I've killed 100, 120 inch PA deer my entire life. So right. I'm not going to go to Ohio my first trip and be like, oh, there's a 180 <laughs> at 32 yards and I'm like shooting 20. Like I, I understand that, but I still, I'm like at the point where I like to yeah. have a, a spot, a, a chance at, at something further if I have to. Right. But the deer I killed in PA last year was at 12 yards and the deer I killed in Ohio was at 20. So this year I'm probably going to go back to pursuing my traditional tackle a little bit more. Yeah. You Those know. guys are savage. Oh, <laughs> dude, I never shook so bad. I killed a, my first deer the year that I started shooting traditional 10 yards on the ground with a Woolrich flannel and a pair of wool pants and a mm-hmm. Carhartt hat. 10 yards. I'd like 10 doe in front of me. I had one doe pegged down, pegged me down at 14 yards <laughs> and I'm shaking like a leaf <laughs> hand on the string, ready to go. And I killed my first doe at, at 10 yards. It was with a stick bow. Yeah. And I literally shook like I was a 12 year old <laughs> kid for my, with my first deer. It is such a rush when it comes together. Right. But then you have enough time where you watch the nicest buck of your life walk by at 30 yards. Mm-hmm. And I was disciplined enough that like, I'm not going to shoot over 20 yards. I, I want to shoot instinctive at 20 and under. And if it's outside of that, I just got to hang the bow back up. So there's still a part of me that likes I love compounds. I love tinkering. I love gear, but there's something spiritual about a trad bow that just, I mean, I love to shoot them. I'm proficient with them, but I, I, this year, I think I'll start pursuing my traditional stuff a little bit more, especially with those tight areas. Is your trad bow, are you shooting a recurve or are you shooting a long bow? So I love long bows. I have 
I have three longbows and one recurve. And I honestly don't feel a difference with any of them. I just like, I don't know, I like the, the longbow, the style of it. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't really see an advantage of the recurve. It wasn't that much faster to me. It wasn't that m- much different that I had to only shoot a recurve. Mm-hmm. But I just, the longbow is my jam, man. They're just, they're fun. And when you shoot your longbow and your traditional equipment, do you shoot the same? And what I mean by that is anchor point and then both eyes open, or you shoot one eye open? I shoot both, your... both eyes open. Um, mm-hmm. I shoot split finger. So I'm literally not aiming. It's kind of, I mean, Instinctive. Th- this is an argument that trad elitists will argue to the death. But for me, I started shooting traditional tackle because I got so tired of being materialistic. I'm a gearhead. I love, I feel like every year I had to buy a new mm-hmm. sight, yeah. new everything. And I just wanted to be like, you know what? I don't need any of this. I don't right. need the newest camouflage. I don't need this new key tree stand. I don't need this new sight and these arrows and this broadhead. I want to have a stick and a string and just know that if it's within 20 yards, I'm going to draw back and not to focus on anything else besides shooting that animal. Yeah. And that's kind of what got my f- kind of fire going for the traditional tackle of things. And I think you went down the right path too, because I fell into that loop for a while too, mm-hmm. where, you know, you, I think it's cause you want it so bad. Yeah. You want to be able to shoot that 140, 150 inch deer. And yep. I would say bigger, but let's face it. If you're shooting 160 inch deer year after year here in Pennsylvania, they need to put you on Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Your middle name is Jesus Christ. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, you, you're just somebody else. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And especially if you're doing it on public land. Yeah. Like, you know, oh, hell master, where are you? Please teach me. Yeah. Because that's impressive. Yep. But and there are guys doing it. There are. Don't get me there wrong. Are. And I will find them. Oh yeah. And I, I, I will, will talk. Find and I will talk to them. <laughs> yeah. So um, that and, and just just to bring something up real quick. Them guys are hard to find, and it's not that they don't want to share their knowledge, but they know their knowledge is gold. Yes. Then they do. Yep. But sometimes you'll go into a bar, and you know Johnny old man, nobody talks to him. All of a sudden. You yep. come, you come out of there, and you wish you had your a, a, a diary with you. Exactly. You're like, oh my god, this guy just filled my head with, and that's how I found out of most most of the mountain streams and such that I fish for brookies. Yep. These guys, I mean, they're just diarrhea coming out of his mouth. Yep. You know, like just going and going, and I'm like, I can't believe you told me yeah, this. No. You had a couple Bud Lights at him. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's it's crazy. I got him greased up, and yep. it ain't nothing. Yeah. But um, the the traditional stuff is wild, man, and it and it, it, I think like you said that. That's a good path to go down yeah. because you're just like, eh, I don't really need that. Mm-hmm. Eh, I don't really need that. You know, and I think that's why like guys like our age, we start to come out of that, mm-hmm. come out of that stage. I don't yeah. know a lot of guys that are like 40 plus that are, hey, man, I'm going to buy the new Matthews bow this year. Right. They don't really care. No. They know they don't need They're it. still shooting the Switchback XT that they bought and they've killed Every deer with that's if, if you I hear about that bow one more time, I'm gonna <laughs> puke. Gonna you know what that. I mean? I knew you were gonna say yeah. that because if you talk, you'll be struck down. Yeah, the Lord will strike you down if you ever talk bad about a switchback. Exactly XD. right. <laughs> yep. I mean, they, there's people are still killing them with them. Their, their grips are probably squeaking every time they draw <laughs> the bow back and whatever. But that, that's that catch us if you can mentality. That's yeah. why I always tell them like that solo cam. That bow was the one that like. Put, I feel put them on the map for the most it part. It did, for sure. And those guys, those diehard Matthews yeah. dudes are like, a lot of them older guys are still rocking. Mm-hmm. They're great bows. Don't get me wrong. Well, I will tell you what, and I'm looking for one right now. So if anybody listen, hit yeah. me up. <laughs> Z7 Extreme. Oh, yeah. I have two buddies that have those. Yeah. And I, I have a Triax right now. Great mm-hmm. bow. I yep. do like it. But there was something about that bow that I really, really, really just bond with it. And I did have a, a old PSE. Uh, I think it was like a Stinger 2 or something. Mm-hmm. I really like that bow too. But... um yeah, I shot I shot primes for years. I love prime. They're mm-hmm. great bows. 
And then I got, I was doing work with them and uh, I love all the guys there. And then I got to the point where I was like, you know what, since I dumped all of my sponsors, quote unquote, I'm like, I just want to go back to the days of, if I want to buy a new bow, I'm going to go out and shoot every bow I can get my hands right. on and pick whatever it is blindfolded without, if it shoots good, feels good to me. And I'm a, I'm a longer axle axle guy. I love like 35 inch bows, 36 inch bows, 34s. And I ended up buying a VXR 28. I had the, the 31 and a 31 and a half and the 28. Yeah. And I hated to go to the 28, but that bow just was so dead and right. so quiet. That's, yeah. And I'm like, I went against everything I believed in and preached about for years, but that bow, that's what I killed both my bucks with last year. Yeah. And I love that bow. And I that's, love, that's why yep. I bought the Triax. Yep. I wasn't even in the market for a new bow. Yep. My brother bought his, Hey, what are you going to do? Yeah. Shoot it once and you go peer pressure. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, I think we bought six of them at the same day. Mm -hmm. There was a bunch of us that went down and he was just like showing them out. Yep. Everybody got a different color and all that. Yeah. You know, um, it's a great bow. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. It's kind of heavy though. And I'm, and I'm super mobile, super mm -hmm. mobile. So I have looked around. I probably won't make any moves, honestly, but yeah. Um, I mean, I shoot, I like a heavier bow. I used to like lighter stuff. And then I realized how much, how much better a heavier bow is for all the longer that I'm at full draw on an animal. Mm -hmm. The weight is helping me in the wind. It's helping me steady. It's helping right. me settle that pin out. I shoot a like a 10 or 11 inch front rod with a eight inch back bar with eight ounces on the back bar and three ounces on the front. Right. Like for me as a whitetail hunter majority, like for the most part, I don't mind the weight because I'm not sitting there holding back on a deer for three and a half minutes. If I have to, I can, but I can suck that up for that one time. But it's not like I'm sitting there trying to launch an 80 yard shot after being a full draw for three and a half minutes, waiting for an elk to walk out, you know, um, behind a tree. So I like, I like the steadiness of a, of a heavy bow. I like to load mine up with weight on the stabilizers and it just shoots. If you shoot a bow with any form of stabilization on it correctly, you will never, I know a lot of guys that don't shoot a stabilizer at all and that's fine. That's your prerogative. But for me, just knowing that I don't have to think about things, right. I, that bow steadies itself out, levels itself out. I'm good to go. Like I, I don't mind the weight. So, so we'll stay on this subject. Do you, what kind of what kind of uh, rest do you prefer for the the compact? Because I know you're a gearhead. I'm a gearhead, so I went through tons of stages. I always had QADs for the longest time. Mm -hmm. Shot a lot of Vapor Trail rests as well. Um, went back to a Whisker biscuit for a while, just as a fail safe unit. And I've settled back on with my VXR. I went back to the QAD Ultra Rest uh, Integrate HDX, one, yeah. and that's so nice to have that thing dovetail mount to your bow. Like no extra, I mean, it's an expensive rest, but I'm keeping that bow for a while. And as long as that thing's hooked to my riser and mm -hmm. set up, it's, it's, I mean, a lot of guys use the ham skis and I like this a lot too, but the QAD is just a quiet, for the most part, fail safe. And you can easily fix it if you need to, you know, right. I'd say the most adjustable rest as far as being able to fix something on the fly would be like the vapor trail or the ham ski. Cause you can use a shoelace if you had to, if your drop away cable wasn't right and it's and limb driven. But I just found that that just mounts perfect to that bow. Once it's set, it's set, and you don't have to think about it. So Now, the unit you use, is it full containment? Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh. and I like that, too. I do like the fact that with a QAD, it, it comes up and stays up. You can let down. It doesn't drop your yeah. your arrows, not bounce off your shelf. You can cock it, yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, what about arrows and broadheads? So arrows and broadheads, without getting into the rabbit hole of FOC, because <laughs> that's just – I yeah. feel like it started with FOC, then I went to – you had to be a public land hunter shooting out of a saddle and all this other garbage. <laughs> I digress. But anyways, I shoot a heavy arrow. Um, I, I shoot, uh, the victory, the VAP D or TKOs, mm -hmm. yep. the premium, the yellow ones or whatever they are with the right. outserts. And as of late, I've been shooting with traditional tackle. I've seen how much greater it is to have a heavy head on. So I actually have been shooting with like, you know, a brass insert plus the outsert plus mm -hmm. 
when you know whatever head but i think this year i'm actually gonna use i have three blade cutthroat broadheads for my stick bows that i bought this last year and i think i'm gonna start putting 200 grain cutthroats on my compound arrows because if you shoot whitetails in pennsylvania you're 20 30 35 40 40 at tops right and I, I, honestly anymore i like the thrill of having them in closer yep. i don't need to shoot 65 yards of a deer anymore having that heavy arrow with a fixed blade broadhead like that and i shoot mechanicals too don't get me wrong i like mechanicals as well but seeing how much more quiet your bow is and really how only how much different your arrow hits with a 200 grain tip as opposed to 100 grain tip oh, yeah. at that 20 30 range you don't have to adjust your sight hat like 40 yards you might have three inches of drop compared to a 100-inch broadhead on there. But you're shooting like a 65-pound bow like I have with a 500, 600-grain arrow. That bow is so quiet, you have no bow noise at that point, and that arrow is punching through a freaking cinder block. Yep. And, uh, I mean, I I think I'm going to shoot those. If I I can get those three-blade cutthroats to fly on my compound rigs, I'm going to hunt with those this year. And I'm right there with you. I'm not far off from where you're at. I have those. uh, um, They're not VAPs. They are... uh, They're, they come without certs, too. And I'm, trying, I'm drawing a blank on the um, name of them. Um, I'm trying to think what all comes with it. I've been on the victory train for a while. That's just because they're tough arrows. But uh, Gold Tip, Kinetic, Pierces, they have the outsert system kind of like that, too, as well. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Black Eagle probably has something. That's it. Black Eagle. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, the Black Eagle, uh, I want to say that maybe they're Impacts. Impacts, yeah. And um, Impact Extreme or something like that, maybe. Or they have a Rampage or something like that. Yeah. Too. There's, there's a I, I believe that they're impacts, but yeah, that's what they are. My buddy put me on to them, um, and he, he sells them, and he's real big on them, and, and they're great. I do mm-hmm. like them. But I went with the uh, outserts and then, you know, the brass outserts, and then I have uh, the Buzz Cuts by mm-hmm. Stinger. Yep. And they're 150 grain. Mm-hmm. And that's what I switched to. Well, I did the test, and I... Got a pile of different broadheads. I was shooting for a long time. I shoot, shot the Rage. Mm-hmm. I have two terrible stories about them. Me too. A lot of successful stories. Yes. Don't get me wrong. Right. But th- those two are enough to make you, oh, well, this is going to happen again. I can't, I can't I mean, handle that. 170-inch plus deer. So. That'll, that'll ruin you real quick. Yeah. And the, the it broke at the ferrule. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I never I never even seen something like that before. The three blade rages when they first came out, I shot a doe at six yards and I walked up to the impact spot and all three blades were laying where the impact <laughs> was and all that punched through was the ferrule and the arrow. So I killed the deer, but still it was like, I walked up to where I hit and I'm like, yeah, there's my arrow a yard back from it. There's three freaking blades laying there. Yep. I'm like, what, how did that even happen? Yep. And I mean, it was first year. It's like kind of like buying a vehicle. You kind of wait for the first year to get the kinks worked out right. before you buy the second right. gen. These were the hypodermics. And, and to this day, I, I, had a, I got a bad pack is mm-hmm. what it was. Yeah. Because I shot that deer. And don't get me wrong. I, I should have made a better shot. Mm-hmm. Okay. But let's face it. That's, it just doesn't work that right. way. Yep. And this is a mature animal. Mm-hmm. This deer seen me. I made the shot. He tried to duck it. And I hit a little high. Yep. All right. Now, I still got, I don't know, probably a good eight and a half inches of penetration. And to this day, I know if I was shooting a fixed head, mm-hmm. I would have killed that animal. Yeah. I know I would have. But um, like I said, it, it had broken at the feral, and then I shot a coyote not long after that. I think it was like two days after that. And I went up to grab my arrow, and it literally looked like white metal on the inside of that thing. And it was broke in half where there's a uh, rivet that mm-hmm. holds yeah. your blade, like the the where yep. the blades go in together, and it was broken half. 
And I called them and they made it right. They're like, hey, we'll send you new ones. And I said, hey, you know, I'm just not interested. I'm sick to my stomach. And, yep. you know, I appreciate you guys reaching back out to me. But I went down the road of shooting the fixed broadheads again. And I'm super happy. Mm-hmm. I I couldn't be happier. I went back to shooting the muzzies. They're great. Yep. I mean, they're just traditionally great. Some people have a hard time getting them to fly. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for part one of the Wade James podcast. I hope you guys are really enjoying. And if you could do me a huge solid, please subscribe, rate, and comment on whatever platform you're listening to. So make sure you guys tune in next week for the rest of Wade's podcast. I hope you guys are really enjoying, and God bless you.